from Real FM. This is Downstream, a podcast about the present and future of streaming media. This is episode 10 for February the 8th, 2022. I am Jason Snell, joined as always by Julia Alexander, Senior Strategy Analyst at Parrot Analytics, a columnist at Puck.News, by the way. Julia, how's it going? Good. How are you doing, Jason? I'm doing okay. Um, a lot of lot of lot of things going on, as there always are for uh, for our podcast. Being every other week, we have a lot of stuff going on. I I realized all of my catching up on stuff, um, for like all the shows that I'm behind on, just ground to a halt because I started watching the Olympics, and I realized, oh no, I'm yes. not going to watch anything else for two weeks, am I? <laughs> just the Super Bowl, just sports with mm. more sports. I suppose so, right? NBC has to step away <laughs> from the Olympics briefly to do the Super Bowl, which they chose to do. They chose to have them be on the same day, which I think is a very weird. I guess, do you want to be up against the Olympics, even if you're the Super Bowl? Like they they get to modulate it by having both. But I thought I think that's so, so weird that they they're doing their sil- what is it super super gold Sunday? I think is what they're calling yes. it. Yes. Uh, what a name mm-hmm. it's creative is it those geniuses it's, it's, yeah. those yeah. those <laughs> those geniuses at uh, nbc they know what they're doing <laughs> um we have a lot to get through and as i said before we got started uh we 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 talk a lot so <laughs> when i make the show i'm learning how uh if i put five topics in our show document uh, we won't get to them all because we talk a lot. We're and the chatty show, Cathy's. This is not going to be a two-hour show. I'm just going to put my <laughs> foot down. I, I, I'm not going to do that. But I do have some follow-up, some stuff that we've covered in the past that I at least want to touch on. And the first item is that Jeff Zucker is out Oof. at CNN, um, for which has led to, I mean, really, it's kind of beyond the scope of our show to talk about how weird it is that Jason Kalar keeps going places where people can yell at him about it, and he says nothing about it because he says it's all private. And they ask him, you know, all the CNN anchors are like, why did you take our Jeff Zucker away from us? And he's like, I can't really talk about it, but we all agreed it was the best thing. Uh, it's a weird story. You get the sense that there's you get the sense there's something more going on that they haven't mm-hmm. talked about or won't talk about. Although I think maybe they want us to get that sense. So whether there is or not, I don't even know. <laughs> but the reason I wanted to mention it is you and I have talked about CNN Plus a lot. A and, lot. And he was a big uh, part of the planning of taking the CNN stuff that he's doing and then doing building CNN Plus as a streaming service. And I saw a piece and I can't find it now, but I saw I saw some speculation uh, that I thought was interesting because a lot of it is like, well, who's going to lead CNN? And they've got this big uh, CNN Plus they're launching. And I saw one piece that said, hmm, not so fast, like with him yeah. out of the equation and them thinking as discovery uh, basically takes over and takes the reins of Warner Media. that there are a lot of executives inside Discovery and maybe not Zaslav at the top, but there are, there are a lot of executives inside Discovery that are asking the questions that I think we've been asking, which is, do you want CNN Plus as its own thing? Or if you're building a new Discovery Plus HBO Max monstrosity, would you be better off rolling that stuff inside of something else? And I, I think that I think I was really looking forward to seeing what would happen with CNN Plus. And now I'm starting to think maybe we never will. Maybe they are going to change direction with Jeff Zucker out of the picture. What do you think? 
It's so interesting. And I think the report you're thinking of is Alex Sherman over at CNBC, who yeah, came that's out it. and said, that's it. yeah, who gave, yeah, <laughs> he reported. For CNN at CNBC. <laughs> Take that. <laughs> it's C against C. CN against CN. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, he had a really good report. Alex Sherman, very, very good um, kind of business of entertainment reporter, business media. And he basically said that executives in the discovery camp we were thinking, to Jason's point, why do CNN Plus when we can roll it into our product? And the best part of this report was there was a quote. And the quote was effectively, or, or a paraphrase rather, and it was effectively, the Discovery executives thought, well, if we can give a little bit of sports, a little bit of news and some primetime you know, programming and some unscripted programming, we've got something huge on our hands. And I remember saying to a friend, like, that's just bad cable. That's just like yeah. cable light, which is what Fubo does and what YouTube TV does. Like mm-hmm. you're just going to offer this MVPD situation uh, or VM- VMVPD. I got those letters wrong. It's fine. Um, I can never yeah, remember it, what to call that thing. I just say I call it an over the top serv- TV yeah. service because I don't know what else to call it. But yeah, it does also have an acronym. No one can remember. <laughs> Too many acronyms. But <laughs> I, my my assumption on this is. The amount of money that they are investing in CNN, CNN Plus feels like something that they're going to have take off regardless. And I heard from a person at CNN who kind of – I tweeted about this and I was like, CNN Plus feels like a way to make their top talent happy. It almost feels like a talent play where huh. they're going to give Anderson and – um, um, Sanjay Gupta, and they're going to give Jake Tapper and whomever the ability to do shows that they can't on CNN. Right. Like, hey, we, we can't bring these shows from cable over to CNN Plus because that would become a whole issue with our affiliates, which Jason and I have talked about at length before. But what if we let you do something fun? Anderson Cooper likes to host New Year's Eve. Like, what if we gave yeah. you a podcast type thing? You go and you do your cool thing. Everyone's um, going to be searching for Italy now. Exactly. <laughs> All Literally, of you just go to Italy and eat things in front of a I, camera. And, and I, I said this you know, on Twitter and I was like, it just feels like a talent play that worth an investment for, you know, maybe a streaming service that kind of takes off on the entertainment, which we refer to as infotainment, mm-hmm. um, which is, yeah, like searching for Italy, those types of shows. Uh, maybe they do more of that. And a CNN source reach out who basically kind of said, this is how I feel and how a lot of people in CNN kind of feel that that's what they're trying uh. to do is like rely on talent, make news a version of it where people are maybe opening it up daily for news, but it really is just kind of a play on their talent and bringing in more talent and, and keeping talent happy at a point when like everyone is trying to poach the biggest talent and CNN has a lot of them. Right. And, and there is this, well, and, and now even more so, um, because say what you will about Jeff Zucker. I have, I have some complicated feelings. I think I, I'm not a fan, but I think he was good at his job. I just think the stuff, the decisions he made were, kind of ugly and and awful but also good for business right so he's one of these kind of people where i have to i have to tip my cap because i think that the guy has been very successful um and 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 yet i don't like a lot of the things that he's done but he clearly the thing that he has done it's clear now is have relationships with the talent and they are all so upset that he's going which i think is fascinating um, but that that shows you they even more so now, and they've also lost some some talent, right, with scandals and things that they I, they need to find ways to keep their their talent. Also, I saw a couple pieces that that like like uh, you said in this one that I'll put in the show notes um, that talk about prioritization of something like a live uh, s- streaming news channel. And um, several uh, articles I've read recently have pointed out, you know, just because 
just because there is a streaming news channel on Paramount Plus or Peacock, it's like not nobody like nobody goes to it. And I was thinking about like the 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 joke about CNN and and Fox News actually is kind of structured to get away from this. The joke about CNN was always that it was the place that you went when something big was happening, but the, but they had 24/7 365 to fill. And 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 a lot of people only tuned to CNN when something big was going on right then. And so you'd get them right. for a few days a year, but that's about it. I think the beauty of a CNN plus kind of approach is it lets you create this parallel CNN that runs on your streamer or just like the CBS news channel and all of that. And it's there. If you want to watch the news, if something's happening, it's exactly. there. You're a cord cutter. It doesn't matter. You got CNN plus and it's there, but the rest of the year, like, what is it for? And the answer is, well, we're making shows with the personalities who are on CNN. And maybe that's the right, like 24 seven news. I'm not convinced 24 seven news is a thing that anyone outside of, uh, what Fox news built. That's just a deeply ideological. It's like an entertainment channel about the news for conservatives. Like in, in maybe, maybe I'm, I'm missing the point here, but like, I, I just don't, I think most people want a 24-7, 365 news streaming service. They just kind of want it available. Yeah, I, I thought about this a lot with the value proposition of a news streaming service. And I think what – so if we ask ourselves the basic question, what is news designed to do? For a streaming service, it is designed to get people to open it daily and therefore it's a necessity in their life. That doesn't work in an era of Twitter and push notifications. Yeah. And so – the next thing you say is like, okay, well, we know news is going to be a thing to your exact point, Jason. When there's a big thing, thing happening, people want to turn the news on. They want to see what's happening live. How do we make that kind of the secondary aspect of a streaming service they'll sign up for, which is the infotainment? It is like Anderson Cooper coming on and doing a show. And then the other thing that plays into this, which I thought was really interesting, was people – I think it was David Zaslav who was interviewed by CNBC, and he pointed out to CNBC, which he helped create – and he said, you know, look at this kind of network. Look how popular it's become. Look how in demand it is. Like, we think news can do this for streaming. And I think the difference there, though, is that CNBC is a tool for investors, for retail traders. Like, CNBC has exclusive interviews. They have access to the Bloomberg terminals. They are doing something that if you are looking at your day-to-day -day finances, your day-to-day -day business, it's something you have in the background all right. day. Like, yeah. you're not necessarily – engaging with the way CNN is. And I think... Right, and the Fox Business and Bloomberg TV are the, like literally the exact same thing. <laughs> right, and I think... Exactly. And I think if you look at what the value proposition CNN Plus is offering, they know that it's not necessarily a tool in the way that the market networks are. They know that it's not necessarily... Um, however you want to describe Fox News, that kind of, you know, really leaning onto one type of um, belief and kind of hammering that yeah. home and kind of, you know, re reiterating those beliefs. Yeah. So, like like know, I said, only... it's, it's almost a lifestyle news is Which what is... Fox News is. So, yeah. Right. Exactly. And so then CNN Plus, the biggest question I have, and I imagine this is where Discovery's executives are coming in, if I would, I would bet, is what makes CNN Plus different from half of the shows we're offering on Discover at throughout Discovery channels. Yeah. Like what is the is it just talent? And are we just doing are we are we spending a billion dollars to keep talent happy? Like and I think that's the interesting thing that will come up with CNN Plus once it launches. If it, I don't have a doubt it will launch. I think it will launch. Uh, I think so because I, I, I do kind of wonder if the, I mean it, it'll. I, I'm sure it'll launch, but will it launch as a tile inside Discovery Plus or HBO Max right. or both? Th that's what I'm. I just feel mm. like why would you not bring it over to a joint thing? But I think that that leads into the bigger question, Jason, of like 
what do they do with Discovery Plus and HBO Max? Yes, yeah, <laughs> like, right. Do they combine those? Like, what is their plan? Is their plan to pull the Disney, right? Where Disney goes, we're not going to combine them, but we are essentially going to combine them. Right. It's in, cheaper to go the bundle route. Than, I mean, you know. in, Disney is bundling or Disney has got a single app. And this is actually, and we're going to get to this in a second, but Dis, Disney actually has um, this other service, Star, and I know we've talked about it. That's kind of like Hulu. It, it, I think yeah. originated as Hot Star in India, but it's it's their international kind of brand that is what Hulu is in the U.S., which is stuff yes. that doesn't really fit with the Disney brand. I believe in a lot of those markets, if not most of those markets, it's an it's an add-on, um, although I'm not 100% on that. Whether you pay for just Disney Plus and get Star or whether you need to also pay for Star on top of Disney Plus, I'm not sure about that, but it is... Uh, you know, they are doing it like that. And, and, but in the U S Disney is, I think quite profitably has three apps. And although they cross promote more than they used to, I opened Hulu and it was trying to tell me things I could watch on ESPN plus, which I thought (laughs) is really weird. But, um, but there is something to, to the argument of putting everything in one app, but in the U S they have three apps and three, uh, services that you can pay for individually or bundle together. And, and so, you know, Warner could do that. They Warner and Discovery. They could say Discovery Plus, HBO Max, and CNN Plus are all separate, and you can pay for them separate, or we've got a great bundle. And I don't. I mean, I, I'm really curious what you think if you've got an opinion about what what's the best approach here, because I can see arguments for both sides. I can see the single app, put it everywhere. We're trying to put everything in one basket because that gives us our best way to establish ourselves as as one of the must have services. I can also see the eh, incremental revenue, and it's really nice to offer people a bundle and some people will opt out but other people will pay us like me i pay for the bundle for disney so i get all three of them like Same. what do you what do you think of of, of the, that argument of like bundle before versus like all in one roll it all together i think there's a question about margin on it i think if cnn plus is a relatively low investment but let's say they hit you know a million subscribers and they're paying pretty decently and they're kind of diehards and they're not going to go away. There's something about that specifically which can work in a bundle where it's almost this nice lead-in point. Kind of like what ESPN Plus is becoming for Disney where a lot of the people who watch ESPN Plus are going for a very specific thing. It could be UFC. It could be any type of kind of sports event that's going on. Right. Um, and then it's, it might be a little bit easier to combine, to get them to come into the bundle. But even if not, the margin on it is in terms of investment is relatively low compared to the other ones. And so you're kind of like, well, it doesn't take much for us to just offer this on its own and there's an audience there and we can have the incremental value. Um, I think if CNN Plus – so then, you know, on the other side of that or related to that, you know, if you bring it into HBO Max, you bring it to Discovery Plus, is that audience necessarily going to engage with that content anymore? What does that bring to the platform? Like you you decrease your investment in terms of running another streaming service, but do you see any notable upside to the profit? Like if you increase your your um, cost by a dollar, $2 to make up for CNN Plus being there, do you then lose subscribers? Right. And so I think they have to play out all those scenarios – um and see how it goes. And I think if their re- markets, their market research says, you know, there's not really a, a market for this. You know, like I think if we look at how news really performs well on streaming services, the best thing I can think of is on ad-supported streaming services where it's just a channel. It just runs, and they're like, it doesn't cost us much, right. and we can run ads on it, um, and we can run hyper hyper targeted ads, like programmable ads that are now coming to the TV market. Um, in a in a full SVOD, like just subscriber video on demand service, um, it gets really difficult to, to determine whether there's an audience for that on its own. And so I think they're doing the research on it and they will see 
Um, what if and if it, to your point, Jason, if they decide to roll that into HBO Max or Discovery Plus, I think that says a lot about where the market is for a standalone mm. streaming service. Then if they decide to, uh, sorry, standalone um, like news type streaming service, as opposed to if they go to launch as an individual product that oh. they then one hundred percent bundle into it eventually. Also, the the beauty of being in a digital market is you can do all of these things like it's not an either or like they can make a decision to launch cnn plus as a standalone service but say that it's bundled with either discovery plus or hbo max like if you buy either one of them you also get cnn plus but it's standalone and you can buy it standalone but it's also bundled in like they can do lots of there are lots of different ways to market these services and like i said uh, in hulu i'm seeing ads for things that are on espn plus which i also pay for and i I think that that's kind of one of the the, the truths of this is you could you don't really need separate apps, but you can have yeah. separate apps and you could have each app have the access to everything, literally everything. And the only difference is what you see at the top. Like y- you could there are lots of different ways to slice it. And and that's both frustrating because you have to choose, <laughs> but also delightful because it it allows you to say. Uh, for example, there's a breaking news event and have a banner show up on HBO Max that says, look at the coverage of this breaking news event. Or you're interested in this thing you watched on H- on Discovery Plus and there's a CNN Plus show that matches it. And I'm just going to show you that you can click here to watch it. And yes. I know you're in Discovery Plus, but it's OK. You can watch this, too. So, like, there's a lot of opportunity there. But um it's complicated and 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 i think complicated is the word that i want to use there because i do think that with consumers who have to buy these things it like the disney bundle is fun but it's also really complicated and managing your account is complicated and figuring out who's charging you what is complicated and you're like did you remember to download all the apps and it's over in this app and not in that app like you do add complexity when you break these things out and that that is a uh, a downside to opting to have CNN Plus as its own thing, separate from Disney and and or from uh, from uh, HBO Max and Discovery Plus. And there's not one right way to do it. I think we're in we are still in the very early stages of there being actual streaming competition, and therefore different types of streaming options for different types of consumers. And everyone is going to uh, mess around with it a little bit until they find one that works for them. And I think when you're Disney. And you kind of say Disney is strong on its own, Disney Plus rather, um, Hulu is pretty strong on its own, and then ESPN Plus is kind of the weak link for them, but we can mm. bundle it in. And then effectively, you're, you get one for like a buck. Like that's kind of what it works yeah. out to. Um, that's not a bad idea. I think, you know, uh, we talked about this before with Star Trek, but Showtime and Paramount Plus, like they basically bundle it and give yeah. Paramount Plus away for a dollar. And it's like yeah. it makes you want to get Showtime and Paramount Plus. That's- you're like, sure. All it took for me was that people talking about Yellow Jackets and I was like, oh, well, I've got Paramount Plus. I'll just add Showtime. I'll just add it. That's what I did. (laughs) I mean, just like, I I mean, I'm already giving them so much money that I give them very little money and I get this other thing. So let's just let's just do it. Um, Before we move on, there's one uh, side note that I wanted to mention uh, about Disney Plus and and uh, and hulu and and keeping things uh, different there's a hulu show that you can watch uh it's pam and tommy i i remember when it happened so i i i don't i'm like yeah there was a sex tape and pam anderson and tommy lee and anyway that show about about that couple and about their sex tape and all sorts of other things is a hulu show for those of us here in the united states however uh a listener mark uh, sent a tweet that is um 
hilarious that uh, in the UK, the top slot on Disney Plus is Pam and Tommy. So yeah. it's even though it was Boba Fett Day, they're like Disney in the UK is like, <laughs> show about your sex tape. <laughs> Here it is. And that's one of the challenges of 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 merging all your branding for somebody like Disney, especially is like, I know that's a star original in the UK, but the fact is that this user is logging into Disney plus and Pam and Tommy's at the top. And it's like, yeah, okay. That's a branding issue that it is. It, it is. You can't deny it. Like, what does that mean for the Disney brand? Exactly. And Pam and Tommy <laughs> has um, quite a bit of explicit sex scenes. Uh, and there is like a five minute scene that I will not go into detail on that is like the opposite of, of Disney. It is the complete opposite. Starring one of Disney's finest actors, though, Sebastian yeah. Stan. Um, and this is That's exactly right. it. So the, the criticism that they get that Wall Street brings up all the time, I brought it up. A lot of people have brought it up is that Disney Plus will reach saturation in terms of subscribers spectacularly fast because of the fact that it's not a four-quadrant service. The Star Wars fans who have it have it. We've talked about this. Model yeah. fans have it. Families have it. So how do you keep expanding, which is what you have to do in streaming to increase your prices, to increase your ARPU? Um, the only option is to broaden. It's You kind of have to have something for everyone. And with Disney, when they inherited 20th Century Fox and when they inherited Hulu, uh, or they bought them rather, but they inherited all the projects that kind of came with it, right. they got a lot of non-Disney stuff. So when we kind of look at Marvel and Star Wars, you know, one of my favorite stories is Michael Eisner, who is the former CEO of Disney before Bob Iger. He passed on Marvel acquiring it because he said that's not a Disney brand. Like, I, we can't do that. <laughs> and then Bob Iger and Kevin Mayer said, I, I think we can make this a Disney brand. Like, the Disney brand is what we make it. And Star Wars and Marvel became that. Star Wars became that. And now we associate Marvel and Star Wars almost more than Winnie the Pooh with Disney. Like it's like that's the Disney brand. So the Disney brand in the next 10, 15 years will evolve into this thing, which is not the Disney we've ever thought of it as. It will be Disney and then there will be these shows that are Hulu originals that you yeah. star originals on Disney Plus. And that will change and it has to change. And I think to your exact point, Jason, how do you maintain the brand, which is family which is safe for children when when you open disney plus pam and tommy in the uk is sitting right at the top yeah um and, and uh, like that's a thing you mentioned marvel one of the interesting little side notes of the of the acquisition of fox that it's way down on the list but i think i'm fascinated by is i i've seen statements from kevin feige and ryan reynolds about how they would like to do another deadpool movie and Fe i think feige said um we will probably do one and it will probably be rated r and it's going to be like that is going to be a real different thing for Marvel to do that, but it, it's sort of a legacy of what they were doing at Fox, and it is it is that kind of pushing the edges and saying we want to we want to make some products. Not every product has to appeal to everybody, and and that and that's how you reach some some of these other areas. I guess the question is going to be how precious does Disney want to be about about the Disney brand? Do they want to redefine it? Do they want to redefine what Disney Plus is? Uh, obviously, they are doing lots of experimentation outside the US with Star as a brand. And so I imagine they are learning lessons about things like putting Pam and Tabby at the top of Disney Plus in the UK. And and what that lesson is, I don't know. Like they, Maybe it worked. <laughs> or maybe well, it's a little too far for them and they have to decide. I think the other thing that comes into play here is the optionality that Disney has is n almost non-existent because you take a show like Pam and Tommy, which has a lot of hype around it, which has this, you know, these 
people, I was going to say these characters, these people yeah. that, you know, are were very much a thing in the 90s and there's a lot of story around it and a lot of interest. And if you're Disney, you know, in the United States, you go, cool, that goes to Hulu. That's a pretty easy decision. If internationally, which is a huge market, if it's not on Disney Plus via Star, where do you go? You license it. You effectively go like, we'll license it to, you know, uh, whomever, uh, one of our competitors, and then they'll have it on their streaming service, and then they'll take time away from us where we're trying to build the brand international. So you're almost in this catch-22 where it's like, it's not a Disney brand thing. We are, it is in the United States because it's on Hulu, which people still don't associate with Disney in terms of branding. Um, but internationally, you can only go Disney Plus Star unless they launch a whole other streaming service, right. and they don't have any interest in that. Like, why would you do that? Maybe... Maybe they do, but I think it just makes more sense to kind of ride the wave and do it slowly and figure it out. And to your point, Jason, like watch what happens, see what happens, where the boundary lines are, and slowly push the boundaries of what what Disney is. Because as funny as it seems now to say like Disney, you know, Star Wars uh, and Marvel are not we're not Disney brands before two thousand and nine. No one even considered that. Now they are handed hand right. with the Disney brand. Also, there are ways. I, I'm not to go back on my point about in digital you can do everything, but in digital you can do everything and anything, and you you have to choose how you want to do it. But you can do almost anything, so it would not be hard. I think this is also already true internationally with Disney Plus that if you're on a profile that's a kid, you don't see that stuff, right? So the kids are not going to see Pam and Tommy. The kids are going to see. Um, just Disney content. But if you're an adult and you've got Star, you're going to see the Star content. But there's nothing stopping Disney from saying Star is our brand for adult content. It's all brand. All those tiles on in on the UK and that screenshot on Twitter all have Star branding on the Star titles. And and you know it's a little bit similar to some of the FX branding that happens on Hulu. But like you can do some ways of splitting the difference where you know you announce Pam Pam and Tommy or something like it, and you say this is a Star original or a Hulu original, and it's available on Disney Plus. And that's not the same as saying it's a Disney Plus original. And I realize some people may dispute that right because it is it is all ultimately a disney product but like you can you can finesse it a little bit and i i wonder if that may be where they end up is is i'm still wondering if in the long run there's just going to be a hulu section inside the disney plus app but we'll see about that yeah i what happens with hulu especially what happens with hulu post whatever happens with nbc universal and hulu is going to be right. very interesting i mean for for them right now they're making good ad money on it like they're like we're selling we're sold out of ads like our admin inventory is great and they get a place to be for fx where john langraff gets to go like this mm-hmm. is mine like i oversee it and it's great so yeah but i think to your point i think hulu is Hulu has always kind of been the uh what is this app? What does this app become of all the streaming services? And even and especially now, it's, it'll be very interesting to watch. Well, remember what I said that we talk a lot about um, about stuff here. Uh, we're one item into the follow up, and it's been twenty five minutes. So that's this kind of show. <laughs> Another couple quick, <laughs> quick quote unquote follow up items. Um, uh, Village Roadshow filed a lawsuit against uh, Warner Media about the HBO Max release of Matrix Four. This is not surprising. Um, you know, you you did some tweets about it that basically say, well, you know, I can see that probably it being on HBO Max hurt its box office at the same time it got bad reviews and bad word of mouth and how well would it have really done? I think it's something to keep watching uh, about this. Uh, although I'm not even sure it's a long term issue. It really is that this move that Jason Kalar made to pull these things out and put them on HBO Max and people are saying that was not in the contract. And like, I get it. You're going to have to pay some of them off. We've talked about that. But I wanted to note that 
that there's another one, <laughs> another lawsuit <laughs> happening about about this in in this case about Matrix Four. There's. I, I was talking to a friend who is hyper focused. Like he is, uh, he has his PhD in this exactly, and kind of the the cross between legal and IP matters, and legal and the studio and the co financing situations. And there are books on this. And if you are interested in how co financing works between studios and distributors, I highly recommend finding one. And just it will give you such an appreciation for what goes on in these situations. Um, and so effectively, what happened with Village Roadshow is they were like. What kind of happened with Scarlett Johansson, yeah. which was you guys took this movie. We are going to make all of our money via the uh, return, the box office return um, and whatever happens with, you know, when you license it to pay one, pay two windows uh, uh, partnerships like that's where we're going to make our money. And Warner, like Disney, was like, well, we have to grow our streaming service. So therefore, we're going to do this. Um, but what we're seeing happening with this lawsuit in particular that that was really interesting is a village roadshow puts money into um, a, 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 a picture, they can then take it out. So they'll get some form of like a profits pie. They can be like, well, there's like a whole thing in this. So you technically have money in these properties you have ownership of. Um, but if Warner comes and says, you know, we don't want you to actually be do anything in them for whatever happens, the more we cut you out, the less you are tied to us. So, you know, despite this obvious IP craze, then Village Roadshow gets left out in the dust. They get nothing in the long term. Warner gets to own everything. So what the lawsuit is really interesting, uh, as for me, I should say, is whatever happens with the judge, and I'm sh- I'm assuming they'll settle. I'm assuming that's what will happen. But if they were supposed to go to court and this has become a huge case and they were, and they were to set precedent, um, Village Roadshow could actually lead the way in saying like, no, you don't get to just own the IP that we are going to help you produce, that we are the studio that's making. Like, we want to be tied into that IP. And remember that IP is like the number one currency right now. Um, so it's really interesting on that front. And it's a big battle basically over like whether or not you allow producers to effectively put in money so they can get money out of it, as opposed to saying like, no, you can technically produce it, you can make the movie, but we're going to own all rights to it. We'll keep an eye on it. It's uh it's going to I mean I would be surprised if there are not many more lawsuits about this but in the end yes. I think it, it's it's a, it's just a matter of the business model changing and the contracts haven't caught up and this it's going to happen it's okay um one last um short note before we move on to the actual topic <laughs> of the show half an hour in this is hilarious I told you we talk a lot um <laughs> is about uh an article you read, you wrote. Um, I assume you wrote it. Paradigmalytics articles are not bylined, but you yeah. y- you seem to quote yourself in it. And I, I had this moment of like, you know, Julia wrote this. But anyway, there's an article. <laughs> article. Who knows who wrote it on Paradigmalytics? analytics website about the netflix connected universe uh that will be familiar to a lot of listeners where that article shows a lot of fun charts the trick in reading the parrot analytics charts is it shows a bell curve and then it shows how far up the bell curve so above average some yes. something is in terms of demand and, and once you once you get that you will see some uh, really fascinating things in, in this case it's what we talked about before about how this actor's in this hot property and then their things start going up in demand and like netflix builds its own web of connections that are more about the actors than about the the characters or the plots um but it's still those connections are there and they do pay off for netflix so i i'll, I'll put a link it's a it's a free thing because parrot analytics posts are free if people want to read more from an unnamed author about <laughs> uh that stuff that we talked about a couple weeks ago from anonymous yeah who knows it's just from parrot it's the parrot wrote it pecked it out on a keyboard it's what happened 
All right. Um, uh, we do have a couple topics, so we, we should jump in. The Oscar nominations came out uh, this morning as we're recording this, February 8th on Tuesday. And just uh, by the numbers in terms of how this connects to the streaming world that we talk about, Netflix had 27 nominations. That's actually down from 36. Amazon's nominations were also down three. They were three instead of 12 last year. Um, Apple TV Plus uh, really got their moment in the sun. They got six nominations, including Best Picture for Coda. Uh, I was waiting for the Tim Cook tweet, and it happened about 30 minutes ago. <laughs> the uh, They also got the uh, Denzel Washington's nomination is for uh, Tragedy of Macbeth, which is another Apple TV Plus uh, film. So... Uh, they're really feeling good, and of course the the uh, the the Netflix uh, western with Benedict Cumberbatch, the dog movie, um, did really well and got a lot of a lot of nominations. So Netflix, I think, even down, they've got to be happy. Um, and then, really, a lot of the other nominees were streamed quickly because of Jason Kalar's Warner Media move. Like Dune got a lot of nominations, and of course, a lot of us saw. Some people saw Dune in theaters. A lot of us saw it on HBO Max, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so uh, I, I think it's interesting to see that trend collide with the other trend of Netflix and Apple and Hulu and Amazon Originals getting nominations. Uh, what, what you have any takeaways from looking at the Oscars list and thinking about streaming services? Oh goodness, so many. But I think to keep it brief. <laughs> well, we talk a lot, keep, so it's fine. We talk a lot. Well, that's what this brief. podcast is for. It's for us to talk. <laughs> I think, you know, to your first point, it's really interesting looking at the numbers going down. And that can lead a lot of people to go, maybe there just weren't as many good movies from Netflix and Amazon this year. And I think what we forget is that last year, movies like The Trial of the Chicago 7 went to Netflix because Paramount was like, we can't yeah. be in theaters. Like no one, and this was 2020. Yeah. Nobody was going to theaters. And so Netflix Amazon inherited, I mean, they bought, but they inherited a lot of Oscar hopefuls. They were like, we'll buy it. We want to distribute it. Right. I think that's our my theater kind of... is still filling people every day. So let's <laughs> bring it on in. Exactly. And I actually, I think this is my main takeaway from what we see happening with the Oscars in general over the last few years, which is the economics of theatrical have changed completely. I have a, a, a term I use, and it's basically superhero sequels and scaries. And if you can fit into there, you've got a pretty good chance of making money in theaters. Um, it's, it's a good shot. Everything else doesn't make sense anymore. It doesn't make a lot of money, and the studios have to take a hit on it. It's a whole thing. But the demand for those movies still exists. So what Netflix and Amazon and Apple and now HBO Max and Disney Plus and Hulu, Paramount and Peacock, what they've effectively become is the new wide distribution. They've become the like, we want this movie to get seen by as many people as possible. We know we can't just put it in limited theaters. We know we can't just put it out like we're not going to make our money on it. But we need to satiate this kind of constant hunger for new content on our streaming services. So what you're seeing happen is uh, a lot. and, And the last data point I'll add into that is that the amount of movies that were released theatrically between 2019 and 2022 by the six major studios has decreased by about 12.5%. Within that same period, the amount of movies that Netflix has released has increased 25%. And so I think there's this moment of this major studios going like, we want to continue making these movies. Um, We want to do something like Power of the Dog. We can't do it when we're thinking about theatrical revenue first. So what we're going to start doing, which we've already kind of seen, and eventually it won't even become a topic of conversation, is services like HBO Max and Disney Plus get movies from Warner Brothers and Disney that are like your streaming thing now. Yeah. And it's funny because I think people see that as almost like a degradation where it's like this is no, you know, it's not good for theatrical versus what the other thing that has happened completely is that uh, movies 
that get released theatrically have to really lean into the communal aspect. They have to be something you have to see with other people and the technology has to be great. So when I think of what I saw in theaters in 2021, it's like a lot of Marvel, Spider-Man, it's James Bond, it's Dune, it's Halloween Kills. It's all these movies that I'm like, I want to be there with, with, um, with people or I cannot recreate IMAX versus at home right. when you're watching... I think this is the other point to kind of end my rant at home. What we have conditioned people over the last 20 years to do is we've conditioned them through extremely good television that some of the best stories are going to play out on your home television, which are not expensive anymore. And you can get a really nice sound bar. So for you going, okay, am I going to spend $17 on a ticket for me, you know, times four for my family, get into a car, pay for gas, sit beside someone who's sick. That, be, that takes a huge thing to get. That value proposition is so much higher than it ever was. And when you're at home and the streaming services are like, we know you're trying to watch a movie a week, one movie every other week, and we want to make those movies and we want to bring them. All of a sudden, all the movies that made sense for the Oscars 10 years ago are just moving to streaming. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, the uh, there's also the fact that a lot of these things, they're, um, they're just movies that, that, people aren't going to see in theaters and more people will see them. So like you mentioned Dune and Dune is a spectacle that you want to see on the big screen. And I didn't see it on the big screen. A lot of people didn't. And I wonder if one of the reasons that Dune became the kind of, I mean, it was a huge hit, not just a cult hit, but it was, it had some culty fringe around it and that people were like, I'm watching it again and I'm watching it with a friend and I'm turning people onto it. I'm like, it's way easier to do that when you can either go see it in a theater or you can press play on HBO max. Like that is way more people saw Dune than would have seen Dune in theaters, I think, uh, because because the accessibility is just so much better to press a button and stream it. And and so you're going to get movies. Yes. I, th- I watched so many great movies last fall or last uh, last January and February during Oscar season because they were available on streaming when yeah. previously I would have had to go to the theater or I had missed them in the theater and they weren't yet out. And, and, and like it was so much more convenient Yes. And so, you know, that's that's just another part of it is is it's different, but you, I think it's good for viewers. And once everything catches up, it'll be good for the people who are making the movies, too. Well, I think to, to our earlier conversation about Village Roadshow, when they look at the Matrix Resur- Resurrections and they say, you know, we lost out on all this money. Let's look at how the other three Matrix movies did, which were released like 20 years prior. Yeah. But like when we look at Different all these world. movies, like how dare you, Warner Media, like and Warner Brothers take our money from us. And on the one hand, I get it. Like I get where they're saying we lost out on our domestic release. That should have been one of our biggest. I get that. At the same time, that movie probably did better than it was ever going to thanks to streaming because it had a terrible cinema score terrible reviews it was in the middle of omicron and it was going up against spider-man like it was like all these things were happening that was like this movie was likely never good i mean first of all it was never gonna hit with the matrix and matrix reloaded and uh revolutions did just the the world is different but at that exact time and for that exact movie and with the opinions that were coming out about it it was the exact type of movie, like we said about Don't Look Up, where you watch on HBO Max. You're like, yeah. I kind of want to watch it. I want to be able to contribute to the discourse, but I'm not necessarily going to risk my life for it by going to a theater. <laughs> Versus Spider-Man, as Sony knows, best type of movie to say, like, people won't risk their lives for it. It became an SNL joke. Like, it was a whole thing where it's like, they want to go watch Spider-Man. They're going to do it. Um and so I think when we – there's this – as you can tell in my voice, it gets me so frustrated when people are like, it's a streaming thing and it's a theatrical thing and as if there's two different values to these types of right. movies. And I think we look at Netflix movies as a whole and we say most of them are forgettable because they're releasing so many and I definitely agree with that. But 
all that those streaming services have done is take movies that would not get made otherwise these days and say, we're going to make them. And there's a great quote from Donna Langley, who's the um, chairman uh, and and basically oversees all of Universal Pictures. And they asked during a roundtable in The Hollywood Reporter, um, were they jealous that they could not make um, The Irishman? And because, you know, it's Netflix's big thing. They spent the money on it. They gave Martin Scorsese what he needed. And I remember Donna Langley saying, like, I would be really upset if no one could make that movie. But like, I'm glad that someone can make it. It makes sense for them. It doesn't have to be um, me. I think that's, yeah, and I, I think that's where we're at. Where like, yeah. I'm sure that, you know, Fox or Universal or Sony would have loved to make Power of the Dog or um, The Lost Girl or The Lost Daughter, excuse me. And instead, I imagine they're equally happy, though, to be like, we get why we can't make that right now. We might make that for our streaming services going forward. But I'm glad that it exists and that right. these movies we're still celebrating. Yeah. In, in movies that otherwise might not have been seen and might have been completely lost and instead they were found. And also, I think there is still a tendency among some filmmakers uh, to run down the home viewing experience. But to your point, um, good TVs are 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 cheap and readily available and, and in lots of homes. And I think there is a difference between having the TV on when you cook dinner with sitting down and watching a movie. I think that, I mean, it's been for Pete's sake, 40 plus years since the home video revolution. I do think that exactly. we've reached the point now where people watch TV in different ways. And when they're settling down to watch a movie or some peak TV, you know, super premium, high quality TV shows, on their 4K TV with their sound bar, like it's pretty, it's a pretty good experience. And I also think those movie makers, those filmmakers have not been in crappy chain theaters yeah. where the experience is literally worse than it is at home. So um, it, it's, it's, it's a good thing. Like some, a movie like Coda, which just as a side note, Coda on Apple TV plus, if, if you're Netflix and you release three movies a week or whatever it is uh it's really easy for the movies to get lost i will say this about apple's movie strategy is i admire the fact that apple doesn't have a huge number of movies but when they've got a movie coming and you're in their interfaces you see it and you know it's there it's like a little premiere i mean it's literally a premiere but it feels like special like Mac tragedy of macbeth is happening denzel washington is happening now or coda when it came on they did a big push and it was in the tv interface everywhere and that's yep. basically why i watched it and it was one of my favorite movies of the year and i'm very happy that it got multiple oscar nominations because it's a really yep. nice movie i liked it a lot and it felt like i watched it in part because it felt like it was you know a special movie release that just happened and there's something to be said for that for making a making a big deal about your your releases and apple because it doesn't have high volume is able to to lean on that 100 percent agree I, exactly the thing about netflix that always gets to me is net we talk about these punishing paces with um the amount of things that are released and the content spend and like netflix took this upon themselves to best netflix every year where it was like so this year they're going to put out 86 english-speaking movies that doesn't take into account um feature films and that doesn't take into account international um films 86 that's more than one a week who who how many people are you trying to serve like it's like a weird thing where they're like well we have to do different genres and we're trying to do different things and when you look at the other studios who would release 18 movies a year like 19 movies individually netflix is doing 86 it just all your movies get lost and the ones that people remember are either they're extremes it's either the oscar originals or the Oscar nominated rathers, uh, or it's the really bad ones where people are like, remember when Netflix made that bad movie and like they made all those Adam Sandler movies? Like that's what 
it kind of comes out to versus to your exact point, Apple's kind of following the Amazon route when Amazon Prime Video first launched. And they were like, we're going to do a few movies. We're going to go to theaters. We're going to be in th- we're going to do the theatrical run. And then we're going to bring them to Amazon and we're going to have, you know, make sure that we, we, we're we we're determining our identity. And Netflix is just like, no, like someone needs to tell them they can slow down. Like, it's fine. You're <laughs> it's like, okay. you can take a break. You have so much stuff coming out. Um, But like 86 movies, I, I, I would maybe 10 of them will be memorable. Yeah. Like that's a, that's a hard thing. Like that ratio is just not great for them. Okay. One more topic. Uh We've reached the big topic, believe it or not. Now, <laughs> the Olympics. We need to talk about the Olympics. Um, I'll I'll link to this really nice piece that Joe Dalian did on Vulture, um, which was titled "Will Peacock Get the Olympics Right This Time?" And you and I had a little exchange on Twitter yesterday about this. I've been watching the Olympics uh, since they started on well, last Thursday, I want to say. So it's early yet, and Joe was looking at the interface in advance of the game starting, and you know the whole. Americans have complained about how uh, the Olympics are shown on our TV networks for a long time now. And we always hear it from people in other countries about how they they've got it better and they've got it more complete. And there are lots of commercial reasons why, like NBC especially, does it the way they do. But but I also see the the criticism of it. They used to as a West Coast American where they used to tape delay everything, even when it was live on the East Coast. So you would hear all the results way before you would ever get a chance to see it. Um, sometimes they would be delayed like more than 24 hours where it could have been shown live in the on the West Coast. But instead, they held it for the following day. Uh, so you would see it like 28 hours later or something. It's just amazingly bad decisions that they made. And you thought digital. Here we are. They're launching this new Peacock service. NBC's mm-hmm. the Olympic Network. They're really going to do it. They're going to launch it with the 2020 games, and that didn't. They got a year to to put that off, and they did the 2020 games last year, last summer. And Julia, it was the worst Olympic <laughs> viewing experience of my entire life, and I've been watching since the '76 Olympics. I remember one a, a relatively early memory for me of watching the '76 Montreal Olympics. Um, on the TV upstairs in my in the house I grew up in, um, it it was so bad because it was uh confusing about like what you could watch because you had a, a cable login versus what you could watch because you were on Peacock and stuff would would stream live from the International Broadcast Center but you couldn't back it up and you couldn't pause it and once it was not live anymore it was gone until it was on NBC's networks later on in the day like in primetime or thereabouts and so and then the next day that you could finally watch stuff on demand so it was so unfulfilling and frustrating and I actually watched less of the the Olympics than I have of any Olympics ever last year which is why with that as my prelude, I just want to say this amazing thing, which is um, it, it. Joe's question of, is it going to work? Are they going to do it right on Peacock this time? The answer is yes, they did it. I think this is literally the best Olympic experience I've had thus far. I am shocked at how good Peacock has uh, has has handled the organization, the on-demand. The fact is, if you pay for Peacock, you can watch everything, even the stuff that's on NBC. You don't have to do a cable login. The international stuff is available immediately and on-demand, and you can wind it all back. You can wind the network back. You can tune into primetime and an hour late and just wind it all the way back to the beginning of the hour and and watch it from there. Like, 
I can't. I mean, I know you've you've hit some things where you've gotten a bunch of of ads and stuff, which I haven't noticed, and I've heard some other people with some glitches. But all in all, I feel like it is a shocking about face where I think they basically they they realized that they blew it last summer and had a real kind of heart to heart with themselves about what the Peacock and Olympic experience should be. And yes. it's really it's uh, it, it, it is completely satisfying to me. I think I think they did a really good job. And I can't believe I'm saying that because I am not someone to defend NBC's Olympic practices at all. But I think they, <laughs> I think they kind of nailed it. I think they did a really good job in that if you paying five or ten bucks for one month of Peacock will get you the whole Olympics. I think that's pretty awesome. Yeah. I think it's the best outcome for a company like this where they launched a streaming service and then they had the Olympics and it didn't go well. And almost like what Warner Media did with HBO Max, they just went, okay, we're going to figure it out. And, you know, a year later, because it's funny, I've been talking to so many friends who are like, the Olympics normally this close together. And I was like, no, no, it's usually not this close. But, um, you know, they and they figured it out. And to your point, I've had the Olympics on all day. It plays on my TV while I work. It's great. The ads are not terrible uh, in terms of, like, consistency. They are terrible in terms of um, of frequency, I should say. They are terrible in terms of consistency. It's the same ad over and over again. I can, like, recite them. Um, But everything else is good. There's no glitching. There's no – there's no – uh, freezing or buffering, I should say. There's the sound is great. The 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 vi- visual is great. Yeah. Everything about what I want out of a stream for the Olympics is phenomenal. It's funny. I'll jump back and forth between Peacock and YouTube TV, and it's like this is just as good as what I'm going to get with what I'm paying sixty dollars yeah. for. Yeah, I I have not been watching on Fubo. I have been watching it on Peacock because it's exactly the same stuff. And then there's more of it to choose from. And they, you know, their interface, they did a good interface design, which I know their interface was actually pretty good last time. It was what was available. But like, if you want to follow a particular sport, you want to look at curling, it'll give you all the curling results. If you want to look at ski jumping, it and, and it'll tell you what's coming up. There are schedules. You can plan what you want to watch. You've got all of the replays. Just like... It, it, they did a good job, and I think it's a black box. I don't know what's going on on the inside of NBC, but I will say it looks like they wrote down a list of all the things that were wrong last summer. Yes. And, and it was things like can't can't DVR it, can't wind back a stream, can't get access to certain things because it's on NBC right now. And like, wait, we're NBC. We could give ourselves permission to show those things because we are NBC. Um, and they seem to have just gone down the list and ticked them all off. And and um, I, big thumbs up to whoever at NBC had the guts to say, yes, this does mean that if you cut yes. the cord and can't see an NBC broadcast channel, you can pay for Peacock and watch the whole Olympics. Because the point is to get people to pay for Peacock. And I, because that... I know it seems like a no-brainer, but boy, that would—that's such an easy thing for an, a big, a big old media company to be like, no, 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 we must wall it off, and no one may may see it unless once it's on NBC, it is the crown jewels, and they must go to NBC to watch it. And somebody this time was like, no, just it's on Peacock. Like we were I, over it. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm very, I'm, I'm very keen to know what those conversations with advertisers were like when they were like, don't worry, like the audience is here for this, and if we move everything over, there will be an audience, and we can have better. Well, maybe maybe they said better commercials. I've seen the Batman trailer so many times. It's making me not want to watch Batman. But I think the big testament 
for NBC, really, we were talking a little bit about this before we started the show, is going to be Sunday. It's You're going to have a huge number of people coming to Peacock, both for the Olympics and for the Super Bowl. And it's do you, you know, how do your servers handle it? Do yeah. you actually succeed in hosting, you know, 100 million plus? Let's say like the, I think the Super Bowl last year, two years ago did, it was it was like 90 million still, it was still pretty high. Like if, let's say, well, let's say you get even a, uh, a third of that who go to Peacock because they're like, oh, I can just watch it here and it's cheaper. It's whatever it might be. Do you handle it? And if you don't, like that becomes the story, especially with the Olympics. So I'm very keen to see how NBC plans for that gargantuan day they're about to have. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see. And I've, and I think one of the things that we could speculate about it now, but I think I think there will be some numbers afterward, whether they are through NBC or whether they're through independent research like Parrot Analytics and other places. But I, I am curious about how many people will have either sampled Peacock for the first time, even if they already had access to it or got Peacock because of it. And what will the retention be? And I know it's not going to be massive retention, but one of the ideas of this is to make people comfortable with Peacock and whether they want to come back for an NBC show or something in the library or other sports that they stream live, you know, and I am a believer, just like I think Jason Kalar's move, even though he made people angry in Hollywood, was smart because in the end, goal number one by far was to establish HBO Max. I would look at this and say, goal number one, you're spending all this money on the Olympics. And you know what? Goal number one is to get people to try Peacock because that's the future of your company. And exactly. they're doing that. So we'll see what the numbers are in the long run. And by the way, Vigil is a fantastic show. If I haven't plugged it here already, I'll just plug it again. Vigil on Peacock. It's a murder mystery in a submarine it's a british show it's amazing and if you get peacock for the olympics watch vigil okay <laughs> like it's right there it's awesome it's a uh, check it out there's some good stuff on peacock actually well, so you should check it out i think that was going to be my you know kind of final comment on on all of it it was basically going to be what peacock has with the olympics working really well so a lot of people saying hey like you and i saying like hey the olympics on peacock are actually really fun to watch with the super bowl coming up the next question i think i asked this on twitter is like how what's the over under on how many stay yeah. around like how yeah, and i knows? think with peacock it's like there there are a bunch of originals coming out that look really exciting and i think there's some interest in it and if they can maintain if they can keep even 30 percent of the users that they bring in and i imagine that's going to be pretty substantial for them substantial enough that we might get an actual update from comcast on these things mm-hmm. but um yeah like they're not i think they're knocking it out of the park yeah um We'll yeah, we'll see. I I think in the end, whatever that number is, look, it, it it's it, we we might not know what the percentage is, but they're going to get people to try Peacock who've never tried it before, and some percentage of them are going to stay, and or and another percentage are going to cancel, but they're going to think I'll be back, and that's like your your brand building here. Like this is actually one of the things that's funny. We talk about sports here because we're both sports fans. Um, one of the things that I've noticed with the NFL season this year, especially, but in general, is that broadcast networks have gotten super liberal with putting their sports on their streaming service. Um, and uh, it, it's smart. Like, again, you would think it would be obvious, but it's not. It's a scary thing to do to say, I know we want you to watch the NFL on your CBS affiliate. But if you if you want to watch it on Paramount Plus, that's fine. To the point where they're not even hiding it. In fact, they're promoting it. And they're, every single NFL broadcast says you can watch this playoff game on CBS or Paramount Plus, on NBC or Peacock. And 
that's great because in the end, these companies have to realize like the future is like the future of NBC is Peacock, not NBC. It really isn't. It's Peacock. And likewise, the future of CBS is Paramount Plus. So you got to get people over. And so this is a great way to do it. And they won't get everybody over, but they'll get some group of people over. And some people will look at the archive and realize, oh, that's where the office is. And and they'll stick around or they'll watch Vigil or they'll watch. I got the comedy, <laughs> my comedy recommendations, by the way, We Are Lady Parts, uh, which I haven't yes. seen, but a bunch of friends have loved it. So uh, good. Rutherford Falls uh, is is really good. That's from Mike Schur, um, who did Parks and Rec and The Good Place. Um, and it's a it's about a, uh, a town with a large um, uh, Native American population and the writer's room is and the showrunner are uh, native american so it's or, or largely native american the writers room so that's it's a uh, it's uh actual indigenous voices sitcom it's pretty cool and it's and it's funny and ed helms is in it and he's the doofus that you'd expect ed helms to be ap bio got moved from uh, nbc to peacock and did two great seasons that are spectacularly weird and you should check it out if you like community ap bio is basically community in a school in a high school instead of a community college and girls five eva which is a very over-the-top uh tina fey show essentially if you liked unbreakable kimmy schmidt and 30 rock you will like girls five eva so uh there's stuff on peacock people and Not yellowstone just the and, and and yellowstone is on peacock much to the sadness of viacom cbs but not the latest season of yellowstone yet i think yeah i don't know what a mess yeah, that is something like that all right well before we go let me see if i can get in a letter or two how about that i love it let's it's do good, it it's good to have letters um uh, this is a, this is a big one, but, uh, why not? Uh, this is from, uh, Greg. Greg says, as the streaming wars heat up, it's clear the market matures, growth slows, consolidation will be the next phase. Once that phase is over, what's the end game? Where does broadcast fit into the future? Oh, this is a big question. Love to your mothers, Greg, from the 802. I will just point out the CW is actually for sale. Um, yeah. so, so just as Fox essentially sold off everything but the Fox network, um, to Disney, the CW, which is uh, co-owned by Warner Media and Viacom CBS, is now for sale. Probably going to be bought by the broadcast stations that have the CW on. But um, the larger point here, and I'm sure we'll come back to this in the future too. But what do you think about like, uh, especially the future of broadcast? Like, is this going to be the long, slow fade where everything just gets disconnected and and uh, or is there or does it turn into something else that's different and weird? What do you think? I think, you know, the funny thing about the CW sales, it kind of speaks a lot to how a lot of these companies are thinking, which is the CW as a network always operated at a loss yeah. for Warner and CW. Like they did not make much from it, if anything, but they made a lot of money licensing those shows yeah. uh, internationally into companies like Netflix. And now they'll bring them in house um, to, you know, HBO Max and Par- um, Paramount Plus. Um I think that, you know, we, we often forget, I was just talking about this with a colleague, is there are still like 85 million paying households, uh, pay TV households in the United States, a lot more internationally. Discovery is still a cable network, like cable company, like that's their thing. And broadcast still plays a huge role in people's lives. Um, I think where you're going to see things potentially change is it will be advertiser led. Um, so consumer and advertiser led where advertisers still want to be on um, broadcast. The leagues for now still want to be on broadcast. You know, we're seeing things change with the NFL and the NHL and MLB and um, NBA. Those will change a little bit, but they still like being on broadcast. They like that hundred million, you know, tuning into the Super Bowl audience, um, even though we'll see those rights get split uh, to different distribution platforms. I think the future of broadcast is still 
alive and well. You know, is the future, what is the future of networks like FX and, and HBO and Showtime, which are premium cable and kind of make more sense as a uh, streaming service than, um, than effect then uh, as a part of a cable bundle going forward not for a long time they still make quite a bit of money from those affiliate fees um you know that's a, that's a, a bit more of a clear i think question for a lot of people is your you kind of watch linear grow or not i should say or not i mean you kind of make your decisions uh, along those lines but broadcast is ad supported it's people rely on it still um, and i think what we'll see happen next is a major company like apple purchase one of them i don't think netflix will but i think Apple may, if they really want to, if they're really serious about Apple TV Plus growing um, more than just beyond originals that get award play, um, they might be interested in pursuing one of these companies, these broadcast companies, selling off the news, not interested in the news. Uh, The FTC would not like them to have the news, Um, but, you know, kind of playing around with it and and bringing those libraries in. I think, though, you know, my my answer, as long as it's been as rambly as it's been, is that broadcast, I think, is mostly fine. The bigger question is cable, and even that is still a pretty okay business. Not super healthy, but it's okay um, for the time being. Um, streaming is so early; it's hard to make any predictions. You know, they they're not make it's it's still not a profitable business for many companies. Uh, so who knows? Yeah, who knows? Um, it, it, it's hard to say. But uh, broadcast and cable too are very different. That's one of the things I yes. wanted to mention earlier about how how. Um, it's a lot easier, actually, for broadcast networks to say, we're just going to put that on the Internet. Whereas yeah. the cable, as we've talked about with CNN, there's this different thing where you're getting money. If you're funded by a cable company, taking your stuff and also putting it up, up somewhere else for streaming doesn't go over so well. So so broadcast has its advantages. I think my advice to, to Greg, if he's wondering about the future of broadcast, is to watch what Fox does. Because Fox is is now Fox Network is a remnant of what it was. It is literally the broadcast stuff and the cable news operation and everything else, all the studios, everything else went to Disney. And so how does Fox program? Well, they program some entertainment stuff that they're buying from other studios and they are setting up a studio of their own for some projects, but they're buying a bunch of stuff from other people, but they got a lot of reality and a lot of sports and they're just kind of turning into a and they, and they've got Fox News. So they're just turning into a different thing and sort of saying entertainment you know we'll we'll do some of that but most of that stuff's going to be elsewhere and you know it's we'll see how well they do with it. But they're a good example of that. Agreed. Um let's see one more letter before we go. How about this one from Peter? How soon will it be before movie and TV content currently available to buy or rent on the iTunes store becomes unavailable to buy or rent? We could throw in DVDs too. Because right owners feel it's more valuable to keep their content locked behind subscription services rather than license it to online stores. I feel for the future sanctity of the purchased content in my digital movie and TV libraries. I feel like like they want your money right like giving people other ways to give them money is probably always going to be a thing and also i think that existing purchases will probably always be a thing because talk about your lawsuits if people sort of get their stuff their purchases voided but uh you know what do you think julia you know it it feels to me like the more windows in which somebody can hand somebody money the better to the people who run these businesses yeah, I think Peter, you asked the question that a lot of 
long time execs and some former execs that I used to talk to and I was a reporter would bring up when we would talk about the economics of, you know, the new world, so to speak. Um, and that was a question for them. You know, it was, it was, do we bring stuff back? Like, do you go full exclusive? And to um, Jason's exact point, that ancillary revenue is still super strong for them. Like, there's no reason to not. It's, it, it they might, you know, maybe they pull a Disney. Disney kind of does that with the vault where Disney releases movies very limited and you have a certain time period to buy them and they kind of jack the prices up and then they go away for a little bit. Um, that was – I actually believe current CEO Bob Chapek was like a big part of that um, concept. Um, and Disney kind of found some success with it. Now with Disney Plus, the vault feels somewhat irrelevant because all the movies are there. But for people who want the physical collections, um, I think what you're going to see a lot more of is those – options will always be there. I think you'll see a lot of these big companies try their hands at, um, you know, prepare for this word, but for NFTs and and trying to figure out what they can do in the digital collector space with the new age audience that is not necessarily as tied to physical copies of their favorite shows, but Mm. might be tied to collecting in some way and coming up through that NFT space and coming up through Web3. Um, I think that's going to be an interesting area for them to look into going forward but to jason's exact point that ancillary revenue is still relatively you know not strong but it's there and it doesn't make any sense for them to stop doing it i mean they also see i can see this when i research it like if you look at kind of demand for movies um there's the first wave which is when a movie comes out then it dies down and then there's the second wave which is when it goes to pvod which is the itunes the amazon like there is an actual bump there and a lot of people who are like i don't want to watch in theaters but i'll pay you know yeah five, ten, fifteen dollars for it, or like I'll do this now. Um, and then there's a third wave once it hits streaming. And so if you're kind of in control of all three waves where you're like, we'll put this in theaters, then it goes to, you know, uh DVDs for a uh, DVD Blu-ray for a month or, you know, five weeks exclusive, and then we bring it to Disney Plus, we bring it to HBO Max or Peacock. Um, that kind of works for them still. This could change. They are constantly studying consumer behavior and but <laughs> yeah. like and and seeing where it does where it makes sense to cut. Careers are made yes. analyzing <laughs> this stuff for large yeah. entertainment companies, right? Like how but, how is the money being spent? But yeah. I, I don't think you'll ever go wrong with the idea that if if it, all of those windows bring in money and that's why they do all those windows exactly. and it would it would require an enormous commitment to something to say this is never ever ever going to be in any other way except on our streaming service. And even even, even, I would say when you've got something like, um, uh, I mean, certainly for like a movie that's in a theater and all that. But I would say I, even for like exclusives that are from a particular streaming service, at some point they're going to want to put those out a la carte, and they're going to want to put them out on disc because, yeah. like you said about NFTs, or you know, I think NFTs is just the digital version of like a steel book. Essentially, is a collector's kind of thing. You love it, you want to have it in your possession, and plus there are some people who don't have good internet and who really do yeah. want it on disc. Um, yeah. And the bit and the quality's better, and they're those people too. But like all of those people with all those different edge cases are are lining up. It's that fry. Uh, it's the fry meme, right? He'll, he'll shut up and take my money. Um, and these businesses didn't get rich by turning away people who want to give them their money. So they'll 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 be happy to open those windows. Like you know, it's it's. I don't think they conflict at all. So I I think. I think it's going to be fine, Peter, is what I'm saying, is as long as there are people willing to give them money for it, they'll take your money. Yeah. 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 That's, I mean, that's, it's the same reason that studios will continue to license their theatrical movies before bringing them back in. Yeah. Like, for, like certain yeah. times, it just 
it's money for them. They it's, need that money. They like the money. They, they, they like the money. I think uh, unless there was a reason where it was like, oh, but taking this money loses us way more money somewhere else. But I don't think it does. So I don't think they're going to care. I think they're going to just keep on uh, doing that because it's a nice little business on the side that doesn't hurt their other business and they get more money out of it. And every one of like every movie ever, right. Has its balance sheet, which is a lie, right. We know that they lie about it, but, but there's also the real balance sheet that they don't, they, they don't show to the people who've got the, uh, the bad contract exactly. deals. Um, and, but they know like, this is the, this is the money we spent on it. And this is the money we mark, spent it on marketing it. Here's, here's the money we get back from this source. Here's the money we get back from the international sales. And here's the money we get back from, and like, the, it's all part of the tally. So they, they like having that stuff. They like having all, it's all factored in really. Like they know exactly. how much money those are all going to make. Well, if you have a question for us and we can stop talking long enough to answer more than two, um, which we will, we'll do an email episode again at some point and just yes. blow them all out. Go Send us an email, downstream at relay.fm. You can also tweet at us at downstreampod. We love to see your tweets and love to your mothers, as always. Yes. You can find Julia at loudmouthjulia on Twitter and parrotanalytics.com. You can find me at jstell on Twitter and sixcolors.com. Uh, we're also doing the TV Talk Machine podcast again. Me and Tim Yay! Goodman. Uh, TheIncomparable.com slash TVTM. I guess you can go to TVTalkMachine.com. That actually works, too. Uh, and you can find every episode of this podcast at Relay.fm slash Downstream and on your podcast app of choice. Uh, we will be back in a little less than two weeks, probably, because I've got a vacation planned. But um, we'll be back soon with more and more of your letters. Um, and probably who knows what else wild stuff will happen in the next two weeks. It's like every two weeks, there's so much to talk about. Uh, Julia, have a great uh, couple of weeks. You too. I'm so excited to talk next time. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye.